Hello there. This is Michelle. Welcome back to Nightmare Mana. I wanted to share something with you today um, that when I did it, there was a lot of um, action and moving and demonstrations, mostly including my offspring, Lucas, on the stage. And so I don't actually know how this will translate into audio. Um, so you can surely listen to it. Maybe your imagination is good and everything will be fine. Or if you need to watch the video as well, you can find it um, at my church's website, which is Boulder Valley Christian Church. And if you look under recent sermons, you'll find me there. Um, I have red hair. We'll help you. I'm also female. And uh, I was wearing a white shirt, so that'll help you recognize the uh, little thumbnail clip. But anyway, here you go. I wanted to share with you a sermon that I just did at my church and we're in the middle of a series called the gospel and so I have taken my experience in young life and um, the talks that I give in young life when we share the gospel especially at a in a camp setting and I tried to combine a couple of them into a sermon so it was kind of, it felt like I was taking like six talks and turning them into, you know, like a 20 minute sermon. So, you know, a little tricky, but, um, this is basically half the sermon is that is a kind of a conglomeration of a couple of those talks. And then the other part is just some ways that I have found to hold the gospel in general. And that has been kind of the way that the Lord has led me on my journey with how to hold and share and talk about the gospel. And um, so I want to share it here with you and I hope that it encourages and maybe blesses you in some way. So, and maybe remind you, my, I think my deepest hope is, is that we would be reminded of the beauty and the power of the gospel and just like the goodness of what the Lord has done. So, my heart just kind of overflowed with the power of that yesterday when I did this. And I just, um, I am amazed again, which I think maybe is that what eternity is like? It's just the constant amazement when we kind of like re-remember the goodness of the Lord. And then we just want to like lift him up and worship him. Is that what that is? Anyway, um, here it is. Me yapping about the gospel. Here you go. Um, we are in the middle of a series about the gospel. And so today I am going to attempt to tell you the gospel the best way I know how. I have worked for an organization called Young Life for like, oh, my people are back there. They have come. Um, good to see you. Um, in Young Life, our mission is to share the gospel with high school and middle school and college kids and then to help them grow in their faith. And so while I've been doing that for 25 years or something, I have spent a lot of time thinking about the gospel and how do we talk about it. And I think the way that we talk about it really matters. The way that we represent our king to people really matters. And so as I've like talked and wrestled and struggled and read the scriptures and sat with the spirit and said, Lord, how do you want this to come out of my mouth to kids who sit with me? This is where I've landed. 
This is, I'm going to try to attempt to tell you where I've landed. There's a lot of things I would like to say to you today that I don't have time to say. So what I'm going to, I'm going to put a lot of things that just don't fit this morning into our church podcast. We have a church podcast, if you don't know, it's called The Valley. And so this week and next week, I will be taking things that I would like to say to you and just don't have time. I'm going to drop them into our podcast. And we also have an online community that you can find a link to it if you go onto our podcast. Um, and it's a place where we can talk and discuss and go like, huh, this thing, this thought struck me. I wonder, blah, 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 blah. And then you can talk to people about it. We can interact. It's an amazing thing, Eve, especially during the summer when we're going to be traveling all over the place. This is a way we can kind of stay connected. You can listen to the messages every Sunday on the podcast, and then you can get on our online platform and you can go, hey, this is what I thought, or what are you thinking? And we can still be really connected. So that's one of the gifts of digitalization of our world is that we actually can do this. So we can stay a family even when we're online, even when we're at home, even when we're traveling. So I would invite you to do this as much as you want. The other thing that I would say to you is, um, last week, Tyler said, he's like, if you have a problem with something I say, you should email Matt, which I thought was real good advice. So, um, and I would say that, but also, Maybe you should email God. And I, I, I'm going to ask you to do something that I do. Is I have, I'm trying to be a pilgrim in my faith. I'm trying to be on a journey in my faith. I had a professor in college who coined this phrase for me called pilgrim theology. He actually wrote a book about it. And he said, what, what is the difference between pilgrim theology and fortress theology? So as a pilgrim, you go, you kind of walk open-handed. And you're going, God, I'm trying to follow you. And I'm seeking you. And I'm reading your word. And I'm trying to land at the places where I feel like you, where truth is and where you've led me. And this is where, you, where I believe truth is. And I'm going to stand here. And then if God's shows you something else, you can be a pilgrim and keep moving. Fortress theology is you're like, oh, yep, this is what I believe. I'm going to grab a hold of it. I'm going to build a fortress. And if you come too close and challenge me, I'm going to poke you and I'm going to push you back because I have to defend what I think. I just don't think it's a great way to live. I think, well, could we be pil- have pilgrim theology? So I, what, if, what if I say something today that you're like, oh gosh, go, what, could, oh, can we be open-handed with it? And can we go, huh? God, what does your word say? Holy Spirit, what do you say? Talk to people. Have conversation. You don't have to have your theology all dialed down. And then what we do is we grab a hold of it and we use it to punch other people. Let's be open-handed. Let's be on a journey. Let's seek the Lord together. It is okay. My, this college professor of mine, he would say things to me and I would go like, I think that's heresy. And then he's like, is it heresy or is it biblical? What are you gonna do with this verse? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, you better seek the Lord and figure it out. And it, it grew me. It challenged me. So, some, so later today, you might be like, Michelle, and you might be like grumbling about something I say. That's fine. But also I would say, can you, Lord, help me? Will you check my heart? And can we be on a journey together? I am not right. I'm going to tell you the best way I know how today. I am, I am sure I am wrong about something because I'm a pilgrim on a journey. We all are. So let's go together. Let's help each other, right? Amen. Amen. Okay, stop. What does the scripture say? Do not bite and devour one another, lest you be destroyed by one another. Not here, okay? Okay, amen. All right, I want to tell you one more thing before we just jump into the gospel. And it's this idea of taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. So that's one of the Ten Commandments, if you don't know. And I think that when we talk about the name of God, it's a lot bigger than just his name. I think that command is about something bigger than don't use God's name as a cuss word. 
I think that is more about do not defame his character. If you're gonna, if you're gonna like slander my name, you're not just using Michelle as a cuss word when you hit your th- thumb. You are, you would talk bad about me, or you would misrepresent me to the world. When we misrepresent the character of God, I wonder if that's what he means by don't take my name in vain. Do not slander my name. We are supposed to be lifting up the name of God, that we are supposed to be making him famous in the world. And is that, is, this is my challenge to you today, is, is the way we share the gospel, lifting up his name and making him famous in the world? Is it true of the way that we talk about him? Is there any way that I talk about him that is not true of his character? When Moses asked God his name, this is in Exodus, I'm going to start reading in Exodus 34, 5. It says, The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, which is Yahweh. And then he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming his name, saying, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He just says, This is my name. This is my character. This is who I am. This is who he is. He, when he names himself, he says, I am compassionate and gracious. I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. I maintain love to thousands, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. That is the character of our God. That is the character of our King. And I am on a mission to make this God famous, that people would know that this God, that this King is extravagantly in love with him. Do you know that the world doesn't know that? The world does not know that this God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. We have got to tell them. If you feel like someone has told you the gospel and you don't feel like dancing, you didn't hear the gospel. The gospel should go, oh, that is the best news I have ever heard. I have got to tell someone. Does the gospel feel like that to you? Is this God being made famous by the way that you live, by the way that you speak, by the way that you talk about him? Do not take his name in vain. Do not take his character in vain. All right, we are going to jump into the gospel. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we want to lift your name and your character up in this place today. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Lord, help us to see you. Help us to know you as you are. Help us to know your gospel as you have said it is. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. First of all, right out of the chute, you have got to know the word gospel means good news. This is good news, and it should feel like good news. So let's talk about it in a way that it is good news. And another thing I want to tell you is this, is that we are spiritual beings, God is a spiritual being. John 4 tells us that God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. And so when we engage with him, it is, we engage in spirit and in truth. This is an invisible story. The gospel is more invisible than it is visible. It is more a story that we can't see than a story that we can. This is a spiritual story. So this is less about 
the cross and an empty tomb and more about something that was happening in the spirit about the way that God set us free. Like if you, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Do you hear that? The unseen is eternal. The unseen is more real than what you can see with your eyes. So today I want us to look at the gospel through a spiritual lens. What would be the invisible story of the gospel? What happened in the spirit that we maybe couldn't see? But how is it that that story sets us free? Okay, so we're going to look at it from a different way. I, uh, I took a swing and writing a little summary of it. Be gentle with me. This is what I wrote. Okay. If we look at it through a spiritual lens, what would the gospel be? We were made spiritual beings, meant to be in a spiritual relationship with our creator, but we trusted our eyes and our flesh and fell from the connection that we were made for. We became blinded to the spiritual reality of what is truest. Jesus came to unveil the spiritual and to defeat the powers of darkness that convince us that God is not real or near or overflowing with love. Our spiritual eyes are dead and darkened without him. But Jesus came to defeat and to make a public spectacle of the darkness via the cross and resurrection and to the open, the open the way back to a relationship with God through the Spirit and to call us back to our true selves in him. Okay, so this is what I want you to see is that we were made for an intimate spiritual connection with God. We were meant to be connected. We were meant to know him and be connected. Something has gone terribly wrong, and that is not the case, naturally. We are separated from our God. You can call it the fall. You can call it sin. It is a broken relationship with God. Something that was meant to be connected is not connected. It's kind of like with a cell phone where, you're, you know when you're connected, and you're like, oh, I can hear you, and we're good. We're meant to be connected, Right? But you know when you get when you get in that kind of a dead zone, you're like, like, and it gets fuzzy and garbled. You're like, what are you? What do you say? And then eventually it gets bad enough. What do you do? Well, you hang up, right? You're like, well, screw that. Like, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's kind of like that. We are meant to be connected, but it's gotten broken. It's gotten garbled, and we are not connected to our God the way that we were created to be. And so, what does God do about it? Well, he does something about it. He goes, I love you too much to leave you here. So I'm going to move into that. I'm going to do something about it. It's the best love story ever told. So, oh, we need to time out one second. Time out. Okay. If, let me ask you a question. If someone wanted to hurt you, what would they do? If someone wanted to hurt me, would they hurt me? No. If they wanted to hurt me, they'd hurt my kids. Because my kids, I love them. And I think maybe even worse than like hurting them, like more than like injuring my kids, it would be, what if someone convinced my kids that I don't love them? I'm not for them. I wouldn't come for them. I don't care what happens to them. That would be the worst thing that you could do to hurt me. That is what is happening between us and Satan and God. Satan hates God. The best way to hurt the Father's heart is to come after you because you are the beloved children of the King. You are stuck in a cosmic war. 
And he's coming after you, not really because he cares about you as much as he cares about the one, you, the one who loves you. You are the beloved of the king. And the enemy has inserted all of this darkness and he's trying to destroy you so that he hurts the heart of the father. That is spiritually what is happening. You are so loved. And then what if, he could, what if Satan can convince the children of God? He's not for you. He's not with you. He doesn't really care about you. You actually don't even exist. Could anything hurt the heart of the Father more? You are the beloved, stuck in a cosmic war. All right, let's look at this. Lucas, you can help me. Um, this is my son, Lucas. I'm going to do something a little bit mean to him, but he, con- he said it was okay. And he knows I love him. I just said so. I almost cried, you know. <laughs> can you take that out? Um, okay, he is going to play us, and we're just going to talk about what does life look like without, without God? What does it look like without him? Okay, so here we are. And, and then Satan starts to say stuff like, oh, hey, kid, uh, does God really love you? Is he really for you? Then he does in the garden. He kind of just twists the story a little bit, right? It's not like a blatant lie. It's just kind of, a, kind of a subtle, kind of a twisty lie. Because what's the truth here is that he is loved by God. But the enemy goes, oh, really? And then there's the powers of sin and death and darkness. And they start to affect the children of the king because of the world that we live in. And all of a sudden, they can't, they can't see. They become blinded and they can't really see what's going on. They're blind to the spiritual truth. And then they become deaf and they can't hear. I can't hear. It's like God's going, I love you, I love you, but because of sin, because of darkness, because of the state of the world, because of what the enemy has done, they can't see and they can't hear. Like his cell phone is dead. Like he can't hear anything. No matter what God is yelling, he's in his sin, he's stuck, right? And then the enemy starts to tell us lies. He tells us really specific lies, specific lies specific to you. We all have very, um, we all have spiritual soft spots. We all have places that um, are really tender with us. Satan pays attention and he knows what they are. And those lies get tattooed onto our hearts. Like they become part of us, those lies. And sometimes we need some help to figure out what they are. But when we're apart from God, it's like those lies just become, they become tattooed on us. And he says, he doesn't know that God is with him. So he starts to believe that he is alone. He doesn't know he's alone. And then he kind of screws some stuff up, you know? Things don't go real great. He's looking for life in all the wrong places. Well, then he becomes pretty worthless. And the enemy just keeps whispering, oh, yeah, you're worthless. Oh, you know what? And And you're not loved. Nope. No love there. You're not loved. You're alone. You're abandoned. 
I'm not with you. I'm not for you. He can't hear and he can't see. And this is where we're stuck. This is, this is what... This is what sin and death and darkness do to us. And the connection we're supposed to have with God isn't working. It's dead. It's not working. This is useless. You don't even need it. Like, we are not connected. We're broken. We're desperate. And this is a spiritual reality, right? Spiritually, there are things tattooed on our hearts. There are lies that are embedded deep in there, and we buy them because we don't know. We can't hear God telling us anything else. So I'm going to ask you this question. How does God feel about him in this state? He loves him. I think sometimes it's, you're, it's easy to go like, well, God is holy, and he's disgusting. Is sin real? Yes. Should we repent? Yes. Is God holy? Yes. Is God repulsed by him? No. He loves him. He will move heaven and earth to break through the darkness that's over this kid. Why? Because he's loved. God loves him. God is for him. God is going to chase him. And how do I know this? Well, because Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. When Jesus ran into sinners, when he ran into the prostitute and the tax collector, what did he do? He pursued them and he loved them and he built a bridge and he went for them. He was like, come on, come follow me. I have what you're looking for. Come on, come on. And what did he do? He healed them of their blindness. Sorry. He healed them of their blindness and he healed them so they could hear, so their hearts could be softened, so they could understand, so they could see, so they could hear. That is who our King is, the gracious, compassionate God who is overflowing with love and compassion. This is the never stopping, never giving up, always, forever love of the King, that while we are sinners, he comes for us. He might not be able to hear it. He may not be able to see it, but where is our God? He is right here. He is with us. He is with us. He is for us. He will not leave us. He will move heaven and earth to come to the lost children of the King. God will do anything to right the wrong that Satan has done to the children. Anything. And, and he's also, he's not afraid of it. Why? Because he's the only one who can fix it. Jesus is the only one who can move into the story and do a dang thing. I can wrestle with people all day long until the power of God moves into that story. There is no hope. He is the only hope, the only way. He is the only way to fix this. And he comes because that is his character. That is who he is. You are beloved, whether you know it or not. You are beloved. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. You are a child of the king. And you might not hear it. You might not know it. Your heart might not get it. But you are beloved. He's for you. Okay, you can go. I might need some water. Lucas, can you get me my water? Or Chris, thank you. We're going to need to hydrate, guys. Okay.
Hey, thank you. Thanks for talking when I couldn't. Okay. Um, so what does God do? God always does something. Love is a verb. Love moves. Love does something. So God in his love doesn't go like, oh, you're, he goes, I'm coming. And I'm going to break through this darkness. I am going to get to you. I'm coming. Love does something. Love shows up. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. Then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates it. He shows us his love in the way that he dies for us. And he comes for us and he sets us free. And I think you've probably heard the physical story of how Jesus died. That he was betrayed by a friend. That he was falsely accused that he was savagely beaten, that he was nailed to a cross, that he suffocated to death, and he died. It is a gruesome story of Roman crucifixion. But I want today to look at not the physical story, but the spiritual story. What happened that day? What is the invisible story? What happened in the spirit that day that actually frees us from something? that actually does something about this state that we're in. So when Jesus comes, he leaves heaven, he comes to earth because he's like, I gotta be with you. I gotta be in it with you. That's how he gets his arms around us, right? He gets in it with us. That's the incarnation. God leaving heaven and coming for us. That is who our king is. And then he sees the mess he's in and he goes, okay. All of that sin, all of that death, all that darkness, put it on me. That's what starts to happen at the cross. He goes, put it on me. The way that he believes he is alone because he can't hear my voice, put it on me. The lies that have become tattooed to his heart that tell him lies about who he is, put those on me. The choices that he makes because he doesn't know any other way to find life, put it on me. The things that he does that are destructive to him, himself and to other people, put that on me. Everything that holds him captive, that keeps him blind and deaf and unable to hear and unable to feel, put it on me. Jesus just keeps saying, put it on me. I will take it for him, for me, for you, for all of us. He goes, put it on me, put it on me. I, and then it does it. it. He holds it all. And then what happens in that moment? He starts to feel how we feel. He starts to feel heavy and dark. And he starts to go, God, Father, where are you? Where are you? I can't, I can't see you. I can't, I can't hear you, God. And then he actually says from the cross, he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I don't believe that all of the sin in the world can actually splinter the Trinity, but I do believe that at that moment, that is what he felt. Because isn't that what we feel? Isn't that what sin does to us? It makes us go, it's too heavy. It's too big. I can't, I can't hear you. I can't see you. I'm lost. For the first time in his life, Jesus was lost from the Father. And he held all of that. And he felt abandoned by God. And it was so heavy that eventually it crushed him and then it killed him. He speaks. 
spiritually got killed by the weight of sin and death and darkness. It crushed him. Could you imagine Satan? He's like, oh, like he was like, oh yeah, let's just pile that on. And he gets killed. And Satan thought he won. But Satan underestimated the power of my Jesus. Because death couldn't keep its grip on my king. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he busted through all of that sin and all of that death and all of that darkness and he set us free. That is what he did. All, he, he held it all and it crushed him and then he conquered it and it killed it. This is how he sets us free. This is the power of the gospel. It is what Jesus did. It is crazy. It's, it's bigger than nails. It is the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, in his soul, and it crushed him. But he's too strong. My king can do it all. And he rose from the dead and he set us free. And I have trusted in this story. I have been like, God, I have been stuck here. And he came and he ransomed me. I trust what God did in this and the way that he rescued me out of darkness and brought me back to life. This is who our God is. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Life that never stops, that overflows. This is the gift. This is the promise. Will you let him be your savior? Will you let him come for you and rescue you? And then will you let him do it again? Will you let the death and the darkness and the lies go and let him set you free? Life to the full, life abundant. This is what he offers us. So Jesus defeated it all. And do you know this? Do you, do you know about the way that he saved you? Can you feel it? Can you feel the power of the gospel? Maybe you've never heard this before and you're like, oh, and sometimes all of a sudden, like, the Lord will remove the glasses and all of a sudden your heart will be able to understand something. If that is happening to you today, welcome. This is the best story ever told. It is so good. And you, children of God, are called to be free. You're offered a different way. So he comes to be your savior and to rescue you out. And then he says, will you let me be your king? Will you give your life to God? Will you say, I take everything I know of me and all of my gunk, everything I know of me and I give everything I know of you. When I gave my life to Jesus, I was four. I was laying in my bed and I just said, God, I want you. I want you. I, I just kept, I just, I want you. I don't even know what that meant. But I knew I wanted him. And at that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit move into my body. And I was like, oh, how nice. And I rolled over and I fell asleep. <laughs> so this process, we could make it real complicated. It's not. It's about going, God, I want you. And everything that that means, I want you. This is love. And then that his Holy Spirit moves into our body so we can have a spiritual relationship with the creator that we're created to have. He restores our connection with God through this. 
and he writes a new story. And so today I set before you death and life. Choose life. Choose it. Get it. Have it. It's yours. It's for you. He came to ransom you, to rescue you. And I will tell you this. Your life will be changed to, changed to the extent that you let this love into your life. And the world will be changed to the extent that we let this love into our life in a way that changes us and moves us and makes us more like him so that we can go and ransom, the, speak life and truth to these kids. How will they know unless they are told? How will people ever know about the extravagant love of the king who comes for them unless they are told? How can you hear a story like this and not go like, well, I got to tell somebody. Like, we have got to move and know that this is the power of our king. It is a good story of freedom and of love and of new life. I don't want to be a person who goes, well, I mean, you do you. I want to go, do you know? There's a way to do it well and there's a way to not do it well. But do we do it? Do we tell people? Can I offer you life? Can I tell you about my king? Can I tell you about love that will blow your wildest dreams? That there is more to this story. So does the gospel move you? When we hear the story of what God has done, does it move you? Does it invite you into something new? And so maybe if today it does, I want, I, if this is the, maybe the first time you've ever heard this, or maybe this is the first time it's clicked in your heart, um, I want you t- to tell God and go, yes, I want that. Yes, do that. If you want someone to pray with you while you do that, there'll be me and Matt and some other folks who kind of be sprinkled around the edges. Come and pray with somebody. This is a good gift. And my hope is is this morning that you will remember the power and the beauty of the gospel, the beauty and the power of our king and the way that he loves us, the way that he ransoms us, the way he writes new tattoos on our hearts that say beloved and chosen and never alone. I get to be in a relationship with a God who's always with me because of what God did for me. He has ransomed us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the son that he loves. Come into the kingdom. So God, would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see? Would you open our ears so we can hear? Soften our hearts, God, to be able to know the way that you love us, the way that you're for us, the way that you see us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd move in our midst. And God, we lift your name up. We lift your character up, who you are. We say, yes, we see you being the gracious and compassionate God who is abounding in love and faithfulness. God, we thank you that you have done what only you can do in my life and in our life. And I pray that it would change everything, that it would change the story, that it would change the place that we live because we have encountered the king of life and love itself. Lord, show us the new today, what that means. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.